welcome to Notes from the Way. My name is Richard. This is a weekly podcast where we get together and talk about what it means to live as a Christian in the 21st century. We follow a pretty simple format here. We first talk about a news story, something that's been going on, and usually has something to do with how Christians are relating to the culture around them, to people who are not believers. Then we go into the scriptures and we talk about something that that God has laid on my heart. Usually it's something about what God is uh, doing in our lives, what he's doing around us, what he's doing in us and through us. We talk about those things. Anyway, if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to get to me, just drop me an email. I'm always easy to get a hold of. My email is nftw at sbcglobal.net. And we also have a blog that goes along with this podcast, which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com. I hope to hear from you. Now let's jump into a story from the news. Okay, I have a news story here from the Associated Press from a couple of weeks ago, actually. I've been holding on to it. Since this is the presidential election season, I wanted to touch on this just for a bit. The title of the article is Protesting Pastors Back Candidates from the Pulpit. And the story is out of West Bend, Wisconsin. It talks about a pastor named Luke Emmerich. says he's preparing the sermon this week knowing that his remarks could invite an investigation from the IRS. But that was the whole point. So Emmerich forged ahead with his message, Thou shalt vote according to the scriptures. I'm telling you straight up, Emmerich says, I will vote life. I will choose life. I would cast a vote for John McCain and Sarah Palin, but friends, it's your choice to make. It's not my choice. I won't be in the voting booth with you. All told, the article says, 33 pastors in 22 states were to make pointed recommendations about political candidates Sunday, and this is in an effort orchestrated by the Arizona-based Alliance Defense Fund. And the uh, point of the uh, group here, this Alliance Defense Fund, is to make these uh, pastor's sermons available to the IRS. The idea is that they will get a legal fight going on and hopefully get the rule abolished that says that uh, nonprofit organizations, especially churches, aren't able to endorse candidates from the pulpits. Pastors aren't allowed to do that under the law. One, another pastor from Georgia says the basic thrust of this was not a matter of endorsing, it's a First Amendment issue. To say the church can't deal with moral and societal issues if it enters into the political arena is just wrong, it's unconstitutional. I have some some mixed feelings about this um, because I don't believe in a lot of restrictions on free speech to begin with. And I do believe that the church has a prophetic voice in society, a voice that says this is what God says is right and this is what God says is wrong. That being said, I do have some problems with what's going on from a lot of pulpits, not just these. These guys are getting a lot of, uh, a lot of play right now, but it happens in a lot of pulpits, uh, left-leaning, right-leaning, conservative, liberal, all different kinds of denominations. This happens quite often where pastors from the pulpit will endorse certain people to political office. And my question, I have several questions. One is, what's the purpose of our gathering together as a church? It seems like part of our purpose is to instruct, for as far as pastors go, when I talk about gathering as the church, I'm talking about large gatherings, your Sunday morning, typically. Uh, Everyone gets together in the sanctuary, and we sing, and we preach, and all those things, and pray, and all all that stuff. 
part of the reason we get together, of course, is to uh, instruct the pastor, whoever's teaching and preaching, needs to train and to instruct believers who are there, training them how to think like Christians, how to uh, know what the Bible says about uh, various issues. I see the main purpose of our gathering together as being what it talks about in Acts chapter 2, where it says that they, the people of the early church got together and they listened to the apostles' teaching, they prayed, they ate together, and they fellowshiped. And I see those four things as being the main goal of the church as it comes together. You know, we worship, we proclaim the gospel, we build each other up, and those are the things that we are involved with. And my question is, when we talk about uh, involving ourselves with endorsing candidates and getting involved with the political process, my question is, does this elevate the importance of politics over the transforming power of the gospel? Because it seems to me that we need to remember that having the right laws or having the right lawmakers in place is a good thing, but it does not make people righteous. The only real way to affect change in society is to have people change their minds, their hearts, their attitudes. We need to remember that. I have a couple of questions that I want us to think about. I'm going to wrap this up and make it quick. And I know some people are going to disagree with my uh, take on this. I want you to ask yourself this question. When you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at Peter, when you look at Paul, when you look at the apostles, they were able to change the world. They were to flip the world on its ear, turn the world upside down, one of the enemies of the, of the Christian church says in Acts. How were they able to do that without getting involved with the political process? They never compromised their message, and their message was really the gospel. It wasn't politics, it was the gospel, because really what changes people is the message that Christ died to save us from our sins, that we are sinners and all of us need a savior, and that Jesus Christ is that savior. That's what changes people. It's not what happens in Washington or in Sacramento or whatever state capital. That message that Christ alone saves us from the depravity and the sickness of our sins is the only thing that really changes us. The question I want to leave with you here, and I really do invite your comments, go to the blog and just let me know what you think on this. Do you remember seeing Jesus, Peter, Paul, any of the apostles endorsing someone for political office i don't remember that i don't see that in the scriptures and i would like for us i'm not saying there's not a place for pastors or church uh, leaders in whatever sense to endorse people if that pa if the pastor is involved in this uh, this situation here in this article wanted to say hey if you will give me your email address i will email you and let you know who i'm voting for and why i don't really have a problem with that but when you take up the time, when all of us get together as a church, as God's people, and I, you know, when I get together with other people, with other, other Christians, I really want to know what God's doing in their life. I want to see where they see God at work. I want to be able to encourage them and be encouraged. I want us to get together and just worship and talk about how good and great God is. And you know what? All those things are beyond and past and over anything that's going on in the political realm or anything that's going on economically or any other way. So when we have that short, precious amount of time together, I really would like for us to focus on seeing how the power of the gospel can change us. Not just change our laws, not just change our outward performance, but change us from being children of wrath to being children of God. And I hope we can really concentrate on that because 
I'm sure these pastors mean well, but frankly, I'm sure there were people in their congregations that morning when they preached on who you should vote for who needed to hear that God loves them so much that he gave his son to die for them. And I hope that they didn't neglect that to tell them who to vote for, the person who's going to be gone in four years or eight years anyway, when what they needed to hear was a message about how much God loves them and wants to drag them out of that sin and disgusting place where they are and take them into a new relationship with God himself. Anyway, like I said, I'd like to hear what you think about that. So drop me an email. Let me know. Now we're going to jump in. First Peter chapter 1, we're going to jump in at verse 6 and go through about verse 9, I think. This passage is interesting to me because it has a lot to say to people who are going through difficult times. The people that Peter was writing to were going through hard times, and, well, we're going through hard times also, economically, politically, in a lot of different ways. So let's look and see what, what God has to say about this. Starting in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The first thing that strikes me when I look at this passage here is that Peter says something which to me seems kind of incredible, which is that he says that we greatly rejoice when we encounter suffering and grief and trials. Because I've got to be honest with you, for me, when I encounter those things, my first emotion is not joy. Uh, it's not rejoicing that I feel when those things happen. It's panic, it's fear, it's anger a lot of times, but it's certainly not joy. So Peter is talking about something that's really not a natural reaction. It's something that comes supernaturally. And I think we have a wrong idea of what it means to go through trials. I think a lot of us have the idea that when trouble comes, it's because of some kind of unbelief in our, in our hearts. It's some, because of some kind of sin. It's because God is judging us for some reason or for whatever, something that we've done. But God's view of the situation may be exactly the opposite. That strikes me that that happens a lot in the kingdom of God, that what we see and what we think is true is actually 180 degrees from what God believes to be true. So let's look at what God believes to be true about us when we're going through hard times. Because the truth is that God always brings purpose to our suffering. He always has a purpose. He always works his purposes in our suffering, in our grief, in our difficult times. He doesn't necessarily cause it. I'm not saying that God causes us to have hard times. What I'm saying is that when hard times come, he redeems it by using it and turning it into something good for us and something that glorifies him. One of the things we find out is that suffering purifies our faith. You know, in verse 7, it says, These, these trials have come so that your faith, which is greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When hard times come, when you lose everything in your retirement portfolio 
to the stock market going down, well, that shows whether or not your faith is in the money that you have or whether you genuinely have faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of us find that we are trusting in things that aren't Jesus at all. A lot of us trust in money. A lot of us trust in our, the fact that we have good health. We trust in our family. We trust in our, our country or maybe our, our political party. Peter is saying here that all those things get burned away when trials come. And all that we have left to hold on to is Jesus himself and the fact that he has saved us through what he did on the cross. But you know, the great thing about that is that that's really all that we need. Sometimes all this other stuff that we have, and especially in a really affluent country like America, like the United States of America, we find that we trust in all kinds of other things, thinking we're trusting in God, but really we're trusting in our bank account or our American Express card or our, like I said, our health or our family or our friends or our, our church. All these different things we trust instead of simply trusting Jesus. So hard times purify and show us what it is that we're actually trusting. And what we're actually trusting, if we're trusting in Jesus, is like I said, it's all that we really need is the Lord. And that thing is more valuable, that salvation that comes from God is more valuable than anything else we can have. So what's really important is our new birth, it's a hope that he gives us, it's the inheritance that he gives us, and those are the things that God protects. It says in one of the earlier verses, before verse 6, it says that God protects those things and guards those things because they cannot be taken away from us. And they are really the proof of God's love. Not whatever outside circumstances, like Peter says here, that for a little while we might go through something difficult or hard. But the result is the purifying of our faith and the fact that we know that we can trust no matter what happens. We can trust and hang on to and just grab hold of, sometimes holding on with this white knuckle grip, holding on to the fact that God loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us. And he loved us enough to make us his children. So what can we learn from this passage? A few things. One thing we need to remember that things are upside down in the kingdom of God. They're not what they appear to be a lot of times. And sometimes difficult times appear to be God's wrath or judgment, but they're actually things that happen to us and that God works through and works in those things to draw us closer to him, to burn away those other things that we don't really need so that we can grab on to him and grab on to what's actually important. And that's the reason why can we, we can rejoice in the trials, is because we know that no matter what, that God is going to work with us and in us, and he's going to be with us in all those difficult times. It's not God's judgment, necessarily. Sometimes God lets us, things happen to us because of our bad choices, but even through that, he still walks with us. Just like when I correct my children, I don't banish them from the family. Sometimes I correct them because I want them to draw into a closer, more loving, more correct relationship with me and with the people around us. Really, when difficult times happen, those are the times when we need to latch onto Jesus and hold him more closely and look for his work, even when it's hard to see what he's doing. We need to be sure that he is at work and doing those things that are good for us and what you're going to turn out for his glory, which is really what our life is, is about anyway. And remember that God is, even when difficult times come, when hard times come, when suffering comes, that God is protecting the most important things in our lives. And those things cannot be taken from us. No matter what happens, no matter if our bank accounts are empty tomorrow, if our houses are taken, if somebody we don't like is elected president, we still have the faith and the confidence that what's important, our new birth, our relationship with God, our adoption into God's family, can never be taken away. And that's what we can learn 
even in difficult times, that those are things that are always going to be true. I hope that's encouraging to you. It is encouraging to me because I look at all these things and sometimes I just want to panic and run away screaming. But it's the times that are bad times are when we need to trust God even more. I hope you enjoy these podcasts. Let me know if you have a comment or question or suggestion. Email is nftw at sbcglobal.net. The blog is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com. Let me know what you think. Till next week, God bless.